0: Chapter 13, then, and uh, just reading verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have profited those which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. For it is good that the heart. Be established by grace. The theme today is building up your spirit. And we talked this morning about, we said that we are spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul. And we quoted a couple of scriptures that shows there is a division between those three. And we said that the spirit is the God-conscious part of us, the part that can know God, that can relate to God in an intimate, personal uh, way. Then we talked about the soul, and we said the soul is that which is self-conscious, that which we can know ourselves by. And uh, the soul is the seat of the the mind, the will, and the emotions. And with the soul we can think, uh, we can be logical and rational in our thoughts. And then we talked about the body, and the body is the seat of the senses, the five senses by which we can be world-conscious, Conscious of everything material that is around us. And out of those three, we focused, of course, on the God-conscious part of us, uh, which is the spirit. And we talked about how we can build up our spirit. And, of course, we mentioned much this morning about the Word of God, reading the Word of God, uh, meditating upon the Word of God, pondering it, uh, speaking the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, and all of those things, and then having a daily Uh, a daily time with the Lord as as our personal devotions. And all of those things uh, together helps us build up our uh, spirit. Now, another way, of course, and this is why I'm coming on to this scripture tonight, is that uh, the heart be established, or the spirit, the heart be established uh, with grace. It's a beautiful verse that, isn't it? That the heart be established with grace. Verse 9 uh, in Hebrews, as much of Hebrews is, uh, will show us contrast uh, between the Old Testament law and New Testament grace, between faith and between works, between worship through ritual and ceremony and worship in spirit and in truth. Obviously, written to those who had come out of Judaism. And had received and accepted the Lord. And the writer here is encouraging them to see the difference between the old ceremonial law and this new life in Christ in grace and walking by faith. And so he says that your heart would be established in grace. What does he mean, that our hearts be established in grace or with grace? Well, Christianity is like no other religion on earth. In fact, in it, God has taken the initiative. Uh, Martin this morning alluded to this whenever he was uh, conducting uh, the Lord's table, that it is God who took the initiative. It was God who came to us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Scripture says. First John, John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. So God was always taking the initiative, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so in all of these scriptures, many more we don't have time to read tonight, we see that God took the initiative in His grace and in His mercy towards us. And in His grace, He initiated that move towards you and I with His love, with His mercy, with His compassion, with His forgiveness, uh, with His power, with His favor, with His righteousness. God was always reaching out towards us. And some of us for many years resisted that call. We resisted that reaching out and we did everything we could to avoid it. But eventually, thankfully, thankfully at the last we received God's grace. And so while we were lost, while we were in darkness, hopeless and helpless, grace came. And grace is the expression of God's love. It's the practical outworking of God's love. God just didn't say, I love you. He demonstrated His love and His grace towards us. God wanted to save us, and in His grace, He sent His Son to die on a cross for us. So God wants us to be saved with his grace. He wants us to serve him by his grace, Hebrews 12:28. All these things that are hearts be established with grace. Now, what is a heart that is established with grace? What does it look like? How does it act? What is the outcome of a, of a graceful heart, a gracious heart, a heart that is full of grace? because this is what God looks for. Well, first of all, a graceful heart is a heart that is a grateful heart. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul looked back and he discounted all that he was as a Pharisee, all his Understanding all his academia, all his intelligence, all of that, there he says, I count all that as nothing that I may win Christ. But he also looked back and saw what he was as a Pharisee and how he hated this Christian sect and how he sent out and went out in order to kill Christians and stood as a witness at the feet of the first martyrs who has been stoned to death. And he looked back at all of that, and that's why he said, I was the chief of sinners. He says, no greater sinner than I was. In fact, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. And that's how he felt, truly. But his heart was so grateful about what God had done in his life at the end of the day, how he had totally transformed him. He says, I am today what I am by the grace of God. He had a grateful heart. His heart was so full of grace He was such a gracious heart that he had such a grateful heart. Dr. William Carey was a great missionary. Great missionary to India. In his day, he was a household name among Christian circles around the world. At age 14, he was a cobbler's apprentice. That is to say, he mended shoes in a cobbler's shop. But he wasn't content just doing that. While he was doing that, he decided that he would start to learn languages. So while he worked, he studied. And by the end of his life, he could speak fluently in 11 languages. And so not only did he become a linguist, but he also became a pastor and a printer and a factory manager and a missionary. A great missionary. He founded hospitals. He founded orphanages. He founded lepros- leprosy stations. He founded churches. And because of his ability with languages, he was able to translate the New Testament into more than 40 languages of the East. So you can see this as a man of tremendous powers and giftings and intellect and all the rest of it. Great man, tremendous missionary, famous throughout the world. But whenever he was dying, a young Scottish preacher came to him, who was in awe of him. What a privilege to be in the room where the greatest missionary on earth is dying, and to be there. And he couldn't help himself. He kept saying, Dr. Carey, Dr. Curry, Dr. Carey this, Dr. Curry that, Dr. Carey the other. And after a while of this, Dr. Curry put up his hand, and here's what he said. He says, When I'm gone. Say nothing of Dr. Carey, but speak only of Dr. Carey's Savior. (laughs) There was a man with a grateful heart. There was a man who realized that without the grace of God, he was nothing. He was nothing. But with the grace of God filling his heart, he was a grateful man. Are we grateful? Are we grateful for God's gifts? Are we grateful for God's goodness? Are we grateful for God's mercies? If our heart is full of grace, we will be grateful. We will be conscious that it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are. Secondly, and we'll be brief tonight, secondly, a graceful heart is a growing heart. In 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of. Now there's two ways you can look at that. It's a very obvious way. That as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will grow in grace. His grace is centered in Him. And our grace that He has put in our hearts will begin to grow. In other words, we'll be more gracious. Our hearts will be more gracious, become more Christ-like. And that's a very obvious and definite way of looking at it. But there's another way, he says, grow in grace. That grace becomes the environment, it becomes the soil on which we grow best. Now, I am not a gardener. Raymond over there and Gilbert are gardeners. Professional gardeners. (laughs) They could grow anything. Talk about green fingers. They've got green toes, these boys. But I'm not like that. But I do know this much. That certain plants will grow better in certain soils. Am I right or am I wrong? Some soils are much more suited to some plants than others. And if you plant the right plant in the wrong soil, no matter what you do, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting that thing to grow right and to blossom and to bear fruit, whatever. But if you plant it in the right soil, the right environment, that's where it will grow the best. And we know that you've got to plant it at the right side of the house the south side or the north side, the east side or the west side, sometimes how the sun, much sun it can take, all these things you factor in if you know about plants, so you know i plant that there, that's the best place for that plant. If I plant it on the other side of the house, it'll die, but if I plant it there, it'll grow. And grace is the soil, it's the environment in which we grow best. Boy, we need a lot of grace, don't we? Because we make a lot of mistakes, don't we? Unless you're that holy, you never make those. And I make lots of them. So we need lots of grace. So that's the environment in which we grow best. So a graceful heart is a growing heart. And we grow best in the soil of God's amazing grace. Oftentimes people are stunted in their growth. Stunted in their growth because they do not understand the grace of God. They make one mistake, they commit one sin, then it's over for them. They throw their hands up and they say, well, I'm not much of a Christian. It didn't work for me, and they walk off. Instead of saying, I sinned, I made a mistake, I blew it, but by the grace of God, I will stand again. God will forgive me. I will repent of this, and God will forgive me, and I will stand again, and I will walk, and I will grow in God's grace. And we need that grace on a daily basis every day of our lives. A graceful heart, a gracious heart, is a generous and a giving heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writing to his his dear friends at Corinth he had a special love for this church even though it had lots of problems. And one of the things they had done was they had promised that they were going to take up a collection and send it for the relief of, of Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, but they hadn't got around to it. And Paul, being the apostle and traveling around uh, saw the The generosity of other believers. And he reminds them of this. Listen to what he says. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. He's talking about people who under the most severe circumstances and trial, yet in spite of that, because of the grace of God, the abundance of God's grace, they were able to give out of that terrible, trying situation. They were able to still sacrifice and give unto the Lord. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely giving, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Notice what Paul calls giving, a grace. Why? Because if you've got a heart of grace, if you've got a graceful heart, you'll have a generous giving heart. You will desire to give. You will see needs, and your desire will be to try to meet that need. You may not always be in the position to do that, but your desire, your propensity will be to do that. And that's a grace. Paul calls it a grace. So this is something that's spiritual. How many believers think that giving in the offering is a spiritual exercise? Hardly any. But it is, according to Paul, something that's vitally important. And he says it comes from grace. So as you abound in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and diligence, your love, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, and you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others be eased and you burdened, but by equality, that now at the time of your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much has nothing left over, he has gathered little has no lack. But thanks be unto God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praises in the gospel throughout all the churches, that not only that but who was also chosen by the church to travel with us with this gift, which is administered to us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent them with our brother, whom we have proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner, my fellow worker concerning you. For if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and, be, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of your boasting on your behalf. Now, Paul here, <laughs> being very diplomatic, is reminding them of what they had promised a year ago. He says, now make your promise true. He says, I'm not letting you off the hook. You made a promise. It's time to pay up and to do it. Now, he says, I've been boasting about you. I've been bragging about you, but I've seen other churches, and I've seen what they've done, so now I'm telling you about them. Why? Because he says, I want this grace to be working in your life. I don't want you to miss the opportunity for this grace to be working in your life and then he goes on to say quickly now concerning the ministering to the saints it is superfluous for me to write to you for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that acacia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority so you started this he says and your zeal actually encouraged others but by the way they're surpassing you now they've actually done it you haven't yet (laughs) Yet I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation." (laughs) He's a genius, isn't he? He's buttering them up, but yet he's hitting them with a... fist with a velvet glove, isn't he? (laughs) He really is. He's making sure they're going to do this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, here it is again, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for uh, you who long for you because who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. Did you notice how many times Paul talked in that two chapters about grace. Two chapters about one offering. He preached about one offering, and in that one preach, he mentioned grace over and over and over again to let us know, to let them know that this is something that comes from a heart that's full of grace. So a graceful heart is a generous and a giving heart. A graceful heart is a glad heart. We're almost finished. A glad heart. In Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16. We read this this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's a connection between grace and joy. The word grace in the Greek is charis. The word joy in the Greek comes from that, and it's Kara. So, there's a connection between grace and joy. And if your heart's full of grace, you'll experience joy because it's connected. It's more than just happiness, it's joy. There are occasions in our lives whenever we experience just not a happy moment, but a joyful moment. And I'm just talking about a moment where you laugh on top of a moment deep down in your heart where subtly and almost inexplicably there is a sense of well-being, a sense that everything is in control, that God is in control, that life truly is good because God is in your life, and there's a joy in that. Well, that is linked to grace according to the Apostle Paul. So, a graceful heart is... A glad heart. Boy, we need joy, don't we? Sometimes we're right and miserable, aren't we? I don't mean just when you get out of bed in the morning. Because lots of us get out of the bed in the morning we're a bit grumpy, aren't we? Re bit touchy until you get your coffee. Some of you are grumpy at night when you haven't got your sleep. Some of us are just grumpy anyway, for no apparent reason. <laughs> so we need the joy of the Lord, don't we? But we need the grace of God in our lives. We need that heart that's full of grace. And then finally, Second Corinthians twelve. A graceful heart. Heart full of grace is a girded heart. It's girded. It's protected. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace will gird you. It will gird you. It will envelop you. And even though the messenger Satan will buffet you again and again and again, and he did. And even though, as was promised, when he gets saved, you will go through much for Christ's name. But he says, my f- grace will gird you, will gird your heart. The grace of God is such a wonderful thing that it protects us and keeps us And keeps us going on. And even though Paul, the great apostle Paul, even though he prayed three times to be released from this, he felt, Lord, I can't take this. And God says, no, you can't. Because my grace will help you. My grace will give you strength. You'll be able to go through this. You'll be able to walk through this with my grace guarding your heart. And so, how do we build up our spirit by the Word of God and by the grace of God. Walking in the Word of God, walking in the grace of God, those two areas alone, of course there's much more, there's the Holy Spirit and all the rest of it, but those two areas alone will get you through so much in life if you know the Word of God and you walk in the grace of God. And you ask God for His strength, Asked him for his grace to help you. If the Apostle Paul can cry out to God and ask for help, surely we can too. Because I don't think I'm anywhere close <laughs> to being like Apostle Paul. And I look at that scripture and I think, here's a man with all that he came through and he got to the place where he thought, Lord, this is enough. I can't take any more. And the Lord says, yes, you can. Because I'll give you grace. That you can take much more with my grace. So surely if there's grace for him, there's grace for me and there's grace for you, isn't there? It's available for us, and if our heart is full of grace, then we'll be able to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we just take a moment just before we leave tonight just to pause and to give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, for all of these years that we have walked with you. Lord, many of us tonight can look back over many, many, many years and how, Lord, you have preserved us. How, Lord, you have brought us through so many things. Times at the moment we thought it would crush us. But yet, Lord, by your word and by your grace we stand tonight. And, Lord, we are what we are by the grace of God. And we're going to be what we're going to be by the grace of God. So we give you thanks for that tonight. And Lord, as we walk out of here this evening, as we go into a brand new working week, we just pray for that wonderful grace of God to flood our hearts and give us the strength that we need daily, Lord, to be believers in an unbelieving world. Lord, that we may be lights in a dark place, that we may salt and light wherever we are because of the grace of God in us. So we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, listen.